Our reading today is from Matthew 14, 22 through 32. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zao. We are um, going through this series called Formation, where we talk about how strangers to Jesus become close friends, followers, then disciples, then teachers, then leaders, then apostles, and then the church. And what that story has to say to us as we, a group of previous strangers, or maybe folks who are new for the first time today, find ourselves on a journey of formation. The way that God transforms us and forms us into a different and new way of life. But that that formation isn't individual. It is collective. It is simultaneously your personal journey with Jesus and a collective transformation of God's people into God's church and of the world into the kingdom, this new way of being, this different imagination of what the world ought to be like and could be like if it were ruled by love. That is the process of formation. We're following the disciples through their formation in the Gospels. And we started with their call, their invitation. Their invitation to leave the things that they knew and join Jesus on a journey. So they've done that. They've left everything behind. And they've begun to face their doubts, as we saw last week with the calming of the storm at sea. They've begun to witness miracles. But now, now is the time that they start to participate in miracles. Our text today begins at the end of a long day of miraculous teachings from Jesus. He has fed thousands of people, and the crowd is large. They're pressing in. So Jesus instructs his disciples to get in their boat. He says, go start heading towards the other shore. I'll be right behind you. But after the crowds disperse, he goes up into the hills to pray. And Jesus prays for a long time. It's actually the middle of the night, probably about three in the morning, when Jesus sees the boat, which has gotten way farther from the shore. 
And in the middle of the night, a storm has come. We talked a bit about storms last week, that these could just spring up out of nowhere. And so in this long night without Jesus, as he has been away praying, the storm has been gathering. And the text says that the wind and water has been harassing the boat, just beating it around. And so sometime around 3 in the morning, between 3 and 6 a.m., before dawn, the disciples look out and they see a figure approaching on the water. They're terrified. They say, it's a ghost. But it turns out Jesus, ever the pragmatist, has just decided to take the most direct route to them and walk across the water to the boat. When he sees that they're afraid, he doesn't let them linger in that fear. He doesn't think that he's a ghost or coming to harm them. Right away, he assures them. He calls out, it is I. And the way that he says that, the phrasing he uses, calls back to Exodus when God identifies herself by saying, I am. I am who I am. I am that I am. And so Jesus uses those same verbs. I am. It is I. In this way that doesn't quite translate to English but it is Jesus' declaration that is not only a reminder that he is Jesus, their trusted friend, but that he is God, and that that is why he can walk on the water. The water is a symbol of chaos. In the ancient world, the water meant something fundamentally different than how we tend to think of it now. Now it comes through our pipes and into our faucets. We can buy it bottled. But in the ancient world... Water was life, but also death. Water was life only because God had made it so. Left to its own, water was death and destruction. And isn't that so like our God, to turn death into life? But the waters, which are powerful, can give us life or can drown us. All over the scriptures are allusions to God rescuing us from the depths to people feeling like they are going to drown, pulled down into the depths, the waters, the chaos, and lose themselves. And it is God who they praise for pulling them back out. The waters, the chaos, this was that from which God created everything. We sometimes like to think that God created from nothing, but the scriptures actually tell us that God created from the chaos or the deep, which are all allusions and metaphors for the sea, for these swirling, chaotic waters that press in, the waves that crash and move and can't be contained, the things that could crush and destroy. And yet it is God who has mastery over the water, God who can turn that churning tumult into a place of life and vitality teeming with fish and watering the land and birthing human beings. Genesis, that story, brings us from the chaos into creation. And throughout the scriptures, we have these other references. Job says that God is the one who walks on the waters. And so when Jesus walking on the waters isn't recognizable to the disciples. He says, I am that I am. Who else walks on the waters but God? So that swirling, churning mass of uncontrollable water becomes a source of life only through God's transformation of it. And when the sea represents that chaos, 
and the disciples are in their boat. They are being harassed by the tumult, by the waves, by the chaos of the world crashing in on them. And it is God who calms it. It is God who directs that water. It is God who makes the sea a place of life. So here comes Jesus walking on the water. I am that I am. I am God. Now Peter, we've been following his formation process. He answered the call. He came out of his boat. He left everything behind. He's been contemplating his doubts. He saw Jesus's mastery over the water in the previous storm. And now, seeing Jesus out ahead, a spark of inspiration. Sure, that is Jesus coming to them. But Peter doesn't want to wait. Peter wants to come to Jesus too. So he calls out to Jesus, if you are Jesus, if you are God, I believe you. Call me to come to you. Tell me to walk on water to you. And Jesus just says, come. You can almost hear him saying the water's fine, which would be untrue. The water is chaos. The water is storming. The water is threatening and dangerous. But God doesn't call Peter out on a calm, sunny, chill day. God calls Peter out in the storm. And Jesus has this incredible power to master the water, the chaos, to calm the sea. And yet, our God is not a God who hoards her power. She gives it away. And so, when Peter, inspired by the miraculous nature of God, sees Jesus on the water, wants him to participate in this miracle of walking on the water, to be drawn in, not just sitting at Jesus' feet, not just ooing and eyeing and saying, Jesus, you're so amazing, but Peter co-create this miracle with God. So he calls out for an invitation and does not hesitate. Jesus says, come, get in here, get in on this. A lesser God would hoard that power. A lesser God would say, nope, I am the only one who can walk on water. I am the only one who will control the chaos. But Jesus is excited by this. Come out here, Peter. Jesus could have teleported Peter to himself if he wanted. He could have raised up stones from the seabed to create a walkway for Peter. He could have parted those waters like the Red Sea before it, but he doesn't. He invites Peter to come, to be a part of this miraculous moment. And how does Peter do it? With just a little faith. This faith culminates in a perfect moment for Peter. He gets out of the boat in the middle of this raging storm, eyes on Jesus, and he walks on water. People often focus on what happens next with the sinking, but I want to focus on the miraculous walking on water like the Son of God bit. How many of y'all have walked on water? I know I haven't, and I want to. That sounds amazing. I don't even care if it was for just one second, this one perfect moment, this one temporary synchronicity with Jesus on the water, and Peter is right there with him. So how many seconds was it? Was it 10, 5, 1? Who cares? Because however long it was, it was an actual Jesus-seeking, life-changing, gravity-defying miracle. 
for that perfect moment between Peter and Jesus and the chaos of the world. In our tradition, the Wesleyan theological tradition, there is a concept of perfection. Wesley liked to write that we were moving onwards towards perfection. He believed that we could be made perfect in this lifetime by love. And to be made perfect in love was the goal of the Christian discipleship. And before you totally dismiss it as outrageous, it's actually in the Gospels too. Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, says, Be perfect, therefore, as your Abba in heaven is perfect. It seems really rude to, like, ask us to do something that's obviously impossible. And yet, I, I do believe it's possible. But I think it's misleading, that framework of onwards towards it's a very linear, very Western mindset, this kind of slowly chugging away until we arrive at the mountaintop of perfection. I don't really think that's how it works. We are called into perfection at all times. In the swirling chaos of the waters, in the midst of the storm, we are called into the miracles. And there are some moments where we catch it where our faith is enough to buoy us in those waters, where we get swept up with Jesus and we are walking for a moment of perfection. And no, we can't hold it. And yes, we're going to sink any second, but it doesn't matter because we are perfect, perfectly aligned with the will of God, perfectly aligned with the love of Jesus, perfectly aligned with that steadiness in the midst of chaos. That is perfection. And it doesn't matter that we can't hold it because we will find it again. You don't reach perfection only to fall and start again at the beginning. We swirl in our lives and for moments of pure beauty, we are in perfect alignment with God, with love, and with one another. And I think that is what we see in this story of Peter on the water. A moment of perfection. A miracle. This moment of perfection happens through this process of first recognizing Jesus, then moving toward him, too impatient to wait, Peter was. And then having just a little faith to step out of the boat. And you know what happens to Peter right after his moment of miracle, of pure perfection, moving directly towards Jesus, no fear, walking on the water in the storm, and then splash. He's sinking. That moment of perfection has ended, and he is coming down from it. How devastating would that be? It could drown a person. And yet, at that very moment that he cries out to Jesus, at that very moment that he feels himself falter, the scriptures say, immediately, Jesus reached out and caught him. When we take a leap of faith like Peter, even if it brings us crashing down, Jesus is immediately catching us. Jesus has scooped us up. The goal that Peter had is actually met. Peter wanted to be with Jesus, to be close to him. And now Peter is in his arms, soaking wet, sure, perhaps a little shaken. But there in the arms of Jesus, who is still walking on the water, 
still bringing that miracle to life with a feeling that no one on earth had in just that way because he had just walked on water with Jesus. And as Jesus carries them back to the boat, they have a little chat. Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, a lot of scholars read this as a kind of admonishment, but I hear that with so much affection. Little Peter, my precious little newbie, you with the tiny faith. This is a theme in Matthew, actually. He tells the disciples to have little faith. The faith of the disciples isn't described as perfect or as terrible. It's not that they have great faith or no faith. They have faith. It's just little. And that's okay. In chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus tells them that faith the size of a mustard seed can command a mountain to move. Mustard seeds are tiny. They're like very little. But the implication is that their little faith isn't quite that big yet. But that's the thing about seeds. They grow. And we see here that a tiny little faith, less than a mustard seed, can accomplish in Peter this miracle. This miracle of faith that comes from just a little faith. So if you ever think that your faith isn't enough, know that just a spark, just a fleck, just an atom of faith is enough for a miracle. And then comes Jesus' question to Peter. Why did you doubt? That word for doubt, distazo in Greek, means hesitate or waver, perhaps lose confidence. Jesus is not asking Peter because he doesn't know. He's asking because he wants Peter to self-reflect. What was the thing? What got you? What held you back? What took you out of that miracle moment with me? We don't get to hear what Peter's answer might have been. But there are clues in the text about what made Peter lose hold of his miracle moment with Jesus. Our translation today says that when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. But another translation I like says it a bit differently. It says, giving attention to the wind, he was afraid. He gave his attention, which had been fixed on Jesus. He gave it away to the storm and the chaos and the threats. And he was afraid implies not that he was noticing the wind that made him become afraid, but that it was his fear, he was afraid, that caused him to turn his attention, his adoration, his inspiration, his imagination away from the Savior, toward whom he had been walking, and to give it all away to the storm around him. It was not the wind or the chaos itself, but his fear that caused him to give away his attention, to check in on the chaos and lose sight of Jesus. Have you ever tried to carry a very, very full glass of water without spilling it? Our temptation is to stare at the glass 
see as it tips one way another or another and try and compensate. But we always overcompensate. We obsess and we spill. They say the best way to keep a steady glass is actually not to look at it, but to look ahead at your goal, where you're headed, to find an inner balance, and that the cup will steady itself along with you. It's like last week's scripture text, that word of advice from Moses, your God will fight for you. You have only to keep still. We will find our way to Jesus, even in the storm, even as we are putting all of ourselves out there for this miracle moment. We only have to keep that inner confidence, that inner calm, to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember that it is the going towards Jesus that matters. Water and the wind and the chaos, those are just distractions. Those things can consume us, but only if we turn our attention toward them out of fear. Meanwhile, back in the boat, the rest of the disciples have just witnessed something beautiful and miraculous. I can only wonder what they were thinking. Peter is such a wild card. I could never just hop out of the boat like that. Or maybe, I wish I could be more like Peter, racing towards Jesus with abandon. Or perhaps, you know, if Peter could do that, maybe I could too. This is the purpose of community, of church, that we are in this together, that none of us gets out of the boat alone and that we can watch one another take risks toward Jesus. We get inspired not only by seeing Jesus come toward us in the storm, but by seeing one another take leaps of faith toward Jesus, even if it means we get a little wet. We inspire one another. We bear witness to one another. We cheer one another on, and we haul one another back into the boat when we're sopping wet. The best part? Even the ones not brave enough to leap out of the boat to seek Jesus directly, Jesus still came to them. And perhaps they experienced a moment of perfection just by being in Jesus' presence on the boat that night. No matter where we are, whether we are the ones leaping, walking, sinking, or hanging back, we can trust that Jesus is always on his way to us. That we will end up in Jesus' arms one way or another. And they did learn something that day, the disciples in the boat. The last time they were in a storm that Jesus calmed, in chapter 8 of Matthew, the scriptures say they were amazed. But they were like, who is this guy? This time, though, through Jesus' miracle and Peter's miracle with Jesus, they can see more clearly. Truly, they say, you are the Son of God. Perhaps it just takes time. 
Perhaps they needed more miracles. Or perhaps there is something fundamental about not just seeing the miracle of the God of creation, but seeing people like you reach out towards that God that inspires you and makes you see what is true. Maybe it takes being on the journey with one another and seeing someone get out of the boat first for you to realize Peter was right. That was Jesus. This is why we have to be in the boat together. Could Peter have leapt out if he didn't know that his guys would be there to bail him out? And what miracles did those witnesses go on to achieve because they saw what Peter and Jesus did together that night? It starts with just a little faith. Do you have some? Perhaps we can find it. I'd like to invite you into a somatic exercise that is a way of being in your body. I want you to take a minute to connect with your body. Just kind of settle into it. Sometimes we have a way of forgetting our bodies. Just pay attention, wiggle your toes and fingers or move your shoulders back. Take a few deep breaths. I want you to trust for a moment that you have a little faith, perhaps smaller than a mustard seed. And I want you to look for it in your body. Where is it? No matter how small, that little spark of faith in Jesus, that little spark of hope in the divine, that little place of belonging and transformation. It may be in your sternum. It may be in your breath or the soles of your feet. Or it may be someplace really unexpected. The first time I did this exercise, it took me like many minutes to find a place of little faith. And it was like, like right here. Who knows? And if you're struggling to find that little spark of faith, find that place of stillness, which we know is the grounds for that faith to form. And once you've found a spot, whether it is a spark of faith or one tiny spot of grounded, still presence, try and imagine expanding it. Send your breath to it. Feel it glow and grow and move throughout your body. And imagine what kind of miracles, what moments of perfection that little spark of faith can invite you into. Will you pray with me? God of miracles, We thank you for walking towards us through the storm. We thank you for inviting us when we are brave enough to call out to you. We thank you for 
making miracles happen with us, for co-creating this miraculous world with us, for not being a God who hoards power, but who shares it, who brings incredible things into being with us the moment we say yes and leap out on the boat. And God, we thank you for being a God who scoops us when we fall, who holds us in your arms, brings us back to the solid boat, and trusts that we will find those moments of miracle and perfection again. Grow our little sparks of faith. Help us to feel your affection. And help us to keep our eyes on you. Amen.